It was a very cruel scene. Executed in an unusual Coven. Hey, creepy bitches. Welcome to Cruel and Unusual, the podcast. I'm Tori. I'm Katie. And how about that fucking new intro? That intro was you walking into another dimension, and that dimension is known as spooky season. Spooky motherfucking season, you guys. In celebration of the spooky, creepy season that is officially upon us, because it is now October motherfucking first. You guys, are you as excited about spooky season as we are? I think they are. You guys, we have so much planned. So much planned. We have a lot planned. We have a lot planned. Today, there will be a movie list dropped in the group if you are not in cruel and unusual colon the group you should be i don't know what you're doing with your life and i hope that you will all watch and talk about when you watch them they aren't your typical like what are some of those movies that people are talking about i don't have hocus pocus on there no i don't have the nightmare before christmas on there i have like carrie the halloween franchise the Scream franchise. I know what yes. you did last summer. Like We want it, to be scared. We want to be an... It's a scary thing. We want to feel like we're about to get fucking grabbed from behind and murdered. That is what I want to feel when I watch a movie. Yeah. I want to hear about the shit that scares the piss right out of yeah. you. Yeah. We also have the Fucked Up Fast Facts yeah. Halloween edition. I was reading them all. I love it. Ooh. I did one for all 31 days of October. So you guys are going to be getting some fucked up fast facts about Halloween, the origin of it. Neither did I. You guys. Our Halloween merch should be up today. Yes. If all goes to plan. If all goes according to plan. If we don't fuck it up, which I mean, guys. (laughs) (laughs) It's us. It's us. Who are you fucking kidding? If all goes to plan. You guys can go to www.cruelinkmedia.com right now. And get your spooky season merch. I love it all. Katie so designed excited. it all. She's so fucking talented. I could <laughs> never, uh, I could never even dream uh, of designing things like that. Um, there, it's so fucking good, you guys. I can't wait to order mine. I, I haven't been able to yet. I know. We haven't been able to. No, yet. No, because we haven't put it up yet. No. <laughs> so as soon, I, I, we're gonna get ours before you get yours. Yeah. But not long. Not long. And then we can all just take fucking selfies and they can look fucking beautiful and spooky as fuck and creepy as fuck. And then we could just be the cruel motherfucking coven in our goddamn spooky creepy season merch. Exactly. What she said. Have you seen, do you have any Halloween decorations up? No. Have you seen that 12 foot tall skeleton? No. From, it's either from like Lowe's or Menards or something like that. No. It's fucking huge i mean imagine 12 feet tall yeah it just right. stands in your front yard i love that i want it so i would like love that 300 <laughs> oh they ruin everything but oh, I real quick it. also i have to tell you something i know a lot of you are not from illinois but i know we have like a good handful mm-hmm. of people who are are in illinois and listening you guys in elgin 
there is a drive-through, corona-free mm-hmm. haunted house. And Katie found it earlier this morning, and she sent it to me, and we were like, we're fucking going. Yeah. Honestly, I can't fucking wait. And I was telling you, like, I want that option every year to yes. drive through a haunt. I'm sure there are, like, others that Probably. I never knew about. I'm so excited. <sighs> I'm so glad that you found that. I can't wait to do it next weekend, the weekend after, whenever we do it. Yeah. I don't care. They open this upcoming weekend, I think. It's, it's something like that. I'm so excited. But you excited. guys, like if you are from around here or within driving distance to Elgin, you can. Chastity. I think Chastity, yeah. you're within driving distance. Is she? I don't know where she lives. She lives in Indiana. Oh. You can. I think it's like $55, but you can, f- I think it's for up to like four or six people. So if you split that. Right. Between everybody. Right. It's not that bad. Right. I read something about you can have a smaller SUV up to five or six seats yeah. for $55. Yeah. And then the next size up, like let's say you have three rows in your SUV, it's a little bit more, mm-hmm. but you can obviously fit more people. So it just right. depends on how many friends you have. Katie and I only have one. And it's each other. Yeah. So we should make the husbands drive we us We might there. make the men go. We might make the men drive us because women shouldn't drive. No, women should stay at home, <laughs> tend to the children, and bake the meatloaves. <laughs> Haven't you heard Ben Shapiro's sister on YouTube? <laughs> Haven't you heard Ben Shapiro sweating real hard about a wop? <laughs> We've even got some Halloween headlines for you today. Now, these are not recent because... Halloween has not happened yet, so they're not like headlines that are in the news right now. Mine's not, at least. <laughs> Is yours? Mine's from, I think, 2019, so okay. whatever. Well, Same mine's diff. like 2018, but okay. I just mean like that they're works, not that works. this Halloween. That works. So the headline of mine is, quote, distraught owner of San Francisco Airbnb mansion where four people were killed watched helplessly as the out-of-control Halloween party shooting unfolded on the home of the security camera. Oh, God. Mm -hmm. They have like a bullet point list of the most important things that this article covers. And this is exactly what it says. Quote, Michael Wang, who owns the San Francisco mansion, received noise complaints before the mass shooting. When he turned on the home security camera, he saw around 100 people in the Airbnb. Michael Wang, who was 58, had rented the mansion to the party's host, who said she wanted to use it for a family reunion of 12 people. That's a very big jump. I 12 think so. to 100. Yeah, I'd say. He received noise complaints from neighbors and investigated over the home security system. Wang then called police to put a stop to the party. This was around 11 p.m. on Thursday. So police were on their way to the Airbnb when the shooting broke out. Four people were killed and several others were wounded in the shooting. Around 100 people are have said to have been at the house and it totally overwhelmed the officers. Yeah. The flyer allegedly for this event that this party host put together advertised Airbnb mansion party, BYOB and BYOW. The event had been advertised on Instagram as an Airbnb mansion party, according to the East Bay Times, with a flyer asking guests to DM for location. Footage uploaded to Instagram moments before the shooting showed revelers smoking joints, dancing, and others in Halloween costumes at the colossal property in suburban Oakland. 
Numerous emergency vehicles were on the scene and victims could be seen being carted into the back of at least six ambulances. Local media said some of the attendees had been injured as they bolted over balconies and downstairs at the property. And it's a very long article, but towards the end, it says, just so you guys know, Orinda is located about 17 miles northeast of San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And I guess it like kind of exploded on Twitter and the Twitterverse expressed shock that the mass shooting took place in Orinda, which is considered one of the safest cities in the Bay Area. According to local crime statistics, this article says between 2004 and 2018, that's 14 years, only one murder was reported in wow. Orinda. That's mm. crazy, right? That is crazy. Um, anyway, so that was mine. They were in Halloween costumes and a fucking shooting erupted. Can you, I know I'm about to say what we always fucking say, but can you even imagine? Can you even fucking imagine? That scene. No. Holy shit. No, I don't want to. That's terrible. There were pictures of the, um, the Airbnb like prior to the shooting and it was fucking gorgeous. I'm sure it is now. I mean, it's been over a year, but still. Okay. Mine is from time.com and it's a story by Maya Rodan. It's called... Woman's dead body mistaken for Halloween decorations. Oh, God. Okay. It says, quote, a woman's dead body was found hanging from a chain link fence earlier this week. No. One passerby thought the lifeless form was merely a Halloween prank. Not uncommon this time of year. But construction workers in Chillicothe, Ohio, phoned authorities on Tuesday morning who confirmed that this was the real deal. Authorities identified the woman as Rebecca Cade, 31, a woman who neighbors and family members told UpNorthLive.com had battled with drugs but was a sweet girl. She was very gullible, easily misled. As long as she thought you were her friend, she would do just about anything for you. Oh, I hate that. That was her. Yeah, that was a quote from Tabitha Long, who was a friend of hers. Cade allegedly got into a fight with Donnie Cochinor. 27 the night before she died cochinor was arrested on the charge of murder on tuesday evening according to authorities she was running from him and got caught in the fence when she died oh my god she died of blunt force trauma to the head and neck officials said isn't that terrible and he didn't bother to like call that's fucked yeah, no, he didn't call because he she was running from him. Right. And he had probably already beaten her. Isn't that terrible, though? That's People disgusting. just assumed it was a yeah decoration. That would be... Oh, I can't. I'm so, I can't. All right, guys. So we have our QOTDW question of the day week from our Facebook group. And this one is from Jen Rogue. She says, I know murder pods and docs are popular. I think we have this ability to remove ourselves from the things we read or consume. My question is, does researching this kind of horrible stuff have an abnormally negative effect on your mental health at times? Thanks for the question, Jen. I feel like I'm like on a, on a hotline. <laughs> right. Jen, thank you so much for the question. Thanks. Thanks for calling in, Jen. No, but thank you. And thank you, Jen, because Jen is one of our Patreon yes. members, yes. too. So we both kind of answered this a little bit in the group. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think to an extent mine was, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, when, when you spend hours, right, <laughs> hours a week, not only just like researching and watching and listening to different crime documentaries and looking at the and, photos and podcasts and, and seeing yeah. crime scene photos, photos and being sent case files. Right. And then after all of that, then you have to talk about it. Right. You know what I mean? So you're never really not talking about it or looking at it or thinking about it Mm -hmm. when you're doing a podcast that comes out every week. Yeah. I think that 
the ones that really get to both of us are the ones that involve children. Yeah. The Toolbox Killers, which is one of them that Jen mentioned, Mm -hmm. was very hard for me to research and talk about. And that was because of the brutality behind it. Right. Yeah, the really brutal stuff gets to me. Yeah. But I, I, for me, in general, as a whole, I think I am desensitized. I think I am. Because I'm so much, I'm so into it all the time yeah i think that i am when it comes to anything other than kids or children Mm -hmm. or very very young adults yeah um i don't think it affects my mental health because i think the goal of finding the information getting all my notes down getting mm -hmm. everything in order getting all the facts straight that goal the goal that the the end goal i'm focused more on that goal exactly yeah i feel like we've kind of you know over the past 35 weeks been able to to remove ourselves a little bit from mm-hmm. it like yeah. while we feel just terrible absolutely yeah terrible it doesn't change for the our families. feelings no not at all but as far as like our own mental health yeah i feel like it i don't know i feel like it doesn't really yeah i don't feel like it affects my mental health often every mm-hmm. once in a while it depends um, on what kind of state you're already in at that time exactly it, it, yeah there's a lot of factors I think what I focus on the most is being able to educate people about the kind of crimes that happen. Right. Because I feel like so many people, especially like in towns like ours, Mm -hmm. like these small town USA towns, right? It's in movies and it's in books and it's so far away. It's not ever going to touch me. Right. Mm -hmm. But then it does. Right. And sometimes it's too late and you're dead or you're someone you love is dead. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the more that these podcasters and and people like us talk about it, the more real that it becomes for people. Yeah. And while that's kind of scary and and it's like this unknown territory that you don't want to hear and you don't want to 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 think about, you have to Mm -hmm. because these things are happening. Right. And I think the more that we know about things the more that we will be alert and we're going to be paying attention. And we won't just overlook these strange things that happened like the other night when you and I were walking alone in the dark Mm -hmm. and we saw that white van. Toolbox killers. Yeah. Hi, hello. How are you? Right. You know, so we turn the fuck around and we leave. Yep. Another thing that kind of turns it around from being detrimental to my mental health is knowing that like, yes, I know it's a lot of time it's women. It's not always women, but a lot of the victims we talk about are women. They had to fucking go through this. I know I've said this before. They had to go through these things. The least we can do is tell their story. Right. And be the voice that they never Yeah, and make sure that they're they're not forgotten. Right. I completely agree. Because I think the first time you ever said that, I was like, yeah, that totally makes sense. Because they no longer have a voice. They can't advocate for themselves. Yeah. They're, you know, we and their Mm -hmm. families and the people who know their story are the only ones who can talk about them. Right. Exactly. Um, But that's a really good question. And it was Mm -hmm. super thought provoking for me because I was like, when, when Jen asked that, I was like, wait does it affect my mental health? And I just want to encourage anyone, if you are listening to our podcast and it ever does become detrimental to your mental health, take a step back for a minute. You know what I mean? Just Mm -hmm. turn it off, skip the episode, go to a lighter episode and come back to this, you know, when you can. Yeah. Don't ever listen to support this podcast if it's hurting you. Right. You know what I mean? I hope that, I hope that everyone continues listening. But sometimes some episodes aren't for everybody. Right. Yeah, that was a good question. Jen. That was a really good one. I like that. Now today. This week. This month. This entire fucking month. This season. This 
of our lives creepy fucking season for the entire month of october we are going to be bringing you the creepiest of the creeps our very first october first episode we are going to be talking to you about a couple of halloween crimes yes we are and i'm up first you're first i'm setting the scene for you okay set that scene okay big mike's halloween party circa 2014 it's a wild time. Big Mike, huh? Mm-hmm. Big Mike. People are talking and laughing and drinking. Big Mike had a guest list of about 300-ish people, but over 800 wow. what? Mm-hmm, showed up to the festivities where eight metal bands played and a larger-than-life bonfire lit up the entire party. Did he live on a goddamn ranch? Yeah, he had a lot of acres. It was like a big, like, mass of land. Shit. Mm-hmm. Now, this was his 10th annual Halloween bash. Michael said, and he goes by Mike, but I'm saying Michael. If I say Michael or Mike, I'm talking about him. Big Mike. Big Mike. He said that he even took the week off of work prior to his party, just getting things set up, like lights and tents and things like that. You would have to. No shit. That's a lot of fucking stuff to do. My God, Big Mike. Party of the century. Yeah. Now, by one in the morning, the bands had stopped playing, but the people were still hanging out and enjoying the night. However, little did the crowd of gatherers know there was a darkness lingering among them. I'll be telling you about the disappearance of Chelsea Brooke, a young woman who went missing from a Halloween party on October 25th of 2014. Chelsea Brooke was born in 1992 in a town called Maybe, Michigan. Maybe? Mm -hmm. Maybe. And this was in Monroe County. Monroe County has a lot to do with this case. Maybe. Maybe. So Chelsea's mom worked at a bank. Her dad was a farmer and worked at a library system. It was a very just like whole wholesome family. Mm -hmm. After graduating from high school, Chelsea decided to stay in Maybe and work at a restaurant to save up for college. Now, Brian Sroka was the Monroe County Sheriff's Detective. And in one of the interviews that I watched, he had said that Chelsea was totally under the radar. She had never been in trouble before. She was never like on like any kind of like watch list from the cops nothing at all right so chelsea obviously knew about this party well in advance because it was the 10th annual bash right Mm -hmm. so she ended up working on her costume for six weeks Ooh, what was it she was going to be poison ivy okay she sewed it by hand and put just so much fucking intricate detail into it it was beautiful too for her we'll have pictures she even had a big bottle of wine labeled poison that Aww. she made to go with the costume that she drank from during the party. I love that. Now, let's flash forward to the actual night of the party. She gets there. She almost didn't get to go because her initial ride fell through. Let's skip ahead all of that mess. She's okay. at the party. All right. She ended up running into one of the tent supports and hit her nose super fucking oh. hard on the metal pole. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She shook it off. She moved on despite the pain from the blow. She kept on partying. She was determined to have a good fucking time. Mm-hmm. She ended up giving her phone to a friend because obviously her costume didn't have any pockets. <laughs> but she ended up losing touch with her friend with the phone and the friend who gave her a ride to the party. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. By three o'clock in the morning, she started to try to hitchhike a ride home from no. like one of the other party goers. And what investigators think happened was that the wrong person picked her up. What are the chances, mm-hmm. too? You know? Yeah. It's such bullshit. 
The immediate thought that investigators have once it's brought to their attention that Chelsea is missing is that maybe Mike, Big Mike, the party thrower, maybe he knew more than what he was claiming to know. Hmm. And he was claiming to know virtually nothing. Mm -hmm. Big Mike had thrown the party, but he was busy. His band played that night. And he didn't know what Chelsea was doing or who she was hanging out with. They knew each other, though? Yeah. From just it was around? A, maybe it was a very tiny town. Yeah. I think they said, like, 600 people. Oh, wow. So there was a lot of, like, outsiders who came. There were yeah. bands who came from different states to play. Wow. Yeah. Do you remember that Jello fest that they used to have? Jello party? Maybe. Someone used to have out by... I don't even know where it was. Somewhere around here. Yeah. I don't think they have it anymore. I don't know. But they would be like jello wrestling and people would fucking come from everywhere. That's so weird. It was like an annual thing. That's weird and gross. I, I never like went it. to it. I never like it no. never sounded appealing to me. Not at all. I don't even like jello. <laughs> so obviously Mike was questioned and investigators asked him if they could do a search inside of his home. He said no. However, police showed up with a fucking like brigade, the SWAT team and a search warrant and he had to allow them in. Right. The initial search of that massive land that the party was held on and Mm. his home proved to show no evidence. Investigators spoke to people who responded to the Facebook invite because they had, obviously, Facebook was a thing in 2014. Right, yeah. And they made one of the, like, one of the event pages Mm -hmm. for it. So investigators talked to the people who either responded yes to it or posted about it on social media, but not many of the people had any idea. Right. A number of people said that they let her use their phones, but evidence and sightings were misconstrued due to the alcohol, drugs, and especially because everyone was wearing a costume. Right. Rumors started circulating about sex trafficking and about a satanic ritual happening at the party. Oh, boy. Yeah. People said that she was burned alive as part of a satanic ritual. Wow. Yeah, it was a fucking stretch. Investigators even searched Mike's burn pit for human remains, Uh, and it turned up nothing. Well, I guess you just have to be sure. Very thorough. Over 1,000 residents in the surrounding area searched by foot in the fields. Chelsea's mom handed out hundreds of thousands of flyers with Chelsea's photo on it, and a candlelight vigil was organized to pray for her and to come together for Chelsea. On October 29th, so four days after she initially went missing, investigators got their very first lead. A composite sketch was drawn up of who a vendor merchandising person saw leave the party with Chelsea, or at least his vendor thought that he did. Okay. The sketch was then handed over to the media, and people started calling in with tips, but nothing panned out. A tip ended up coming in about a man named Harlan Bird, and it mentioned that maybe he knew where she was. It was a very, like, ominous tip. Mm-hmm. Harlan was brought into the station, and he said that he saw two men assaulting a woman in the parking area of the land. He intervened and helped the woman and thought that the woman was Chelsea Brock. He apparently described her perfectly, like, to a fucking T. And he said he got blood on his shirt from her when she thanked him. Like, she hugged him and some blood got on his shirt. He said he was nervous to tell the police and come forward about this because he was worried that they would think, like, he did something to her because her blood was on his shirt. That's true. He said what he did was he, obviously he intervened, he got the men away from her, and then he sat her down in an opened red four-door car. He had no idea whose car this was. It was just the closest thing to set her on. He told her that he would go back to the party and find someone that she knew and bring the person back to help her. 
He went back to the party, couldn't find anyone that said that they knew her. He went back to the parking area and both Chelsea and the vehicle were gone. Investigators asked for more information about the bloody shirt and if he still had it. Hartland said that he had the shirt, but that his partner was washing it or had washed it. He said that she had a bloody nose, which checks out because she ran into that metal pole. Yeah. But that he didn't see a bloody nose. He just assumed that she had a bloody nose. Right? What? Isn't that fucking weird? Harlan. Weird. His questioning was just super sketch. And the more that he talked, like the more he was back and forth about things, he got more inconsistent as the questioning went on. Investigators were like, what the fuck is wrong with this guy? And they started not believing a damn thing that was coming out of his mouth. Mm-hmm investigators actually got to the point where he asked if he even came into contact with a woman or someone who he thought was Chelsea on the night of the Halloween party and he said no he didn't he just told people that he did that to look good and he did not come into contact with Chelsea that night at all what yep you man Mm -hmm. yep why Uh uh-huh Another tip came in from a Toledo woman named Carrie. They interviewed her, and they being the police, and she said that her ex-boyfriend confessed to killing Chelsea, and then she broke up with him. She also feared for her life, and as a result, it took her a little bit to report it. Investigators tracked the dude down, questioned him, and ultimately found out that she was just a scorned ex. She admitted that she wanted to get her ex-boyfriend back by getting him arrested after their tumultuous relationship had ended. Girlfriend. Both Harland and Carrie were arrested for lying to the police. Wow. Obviously. In March of 2015, so a few months after she initially went missing, a woman named Cheryl found a flat red shoe while cleaning up her property and the surrounding property that, like, edged around hers. Okay. She called investigators. Basically, she had just thrown it away at first. Mm -hmm. And then she got home and her husband was like, hey, what'd you find while you were cleaning up this year? Because she always goes and cleans up her yard after Mike's party. Oh, I'm sure she's found all sorts of things. Oh, I'm sure. Wow. So he was like, hey, what'd you find? And she told him everything that she found. And he was like, well, what about that girl who went missing? Could that Mm. be her shoe? So that's when Cheryl reported it. She brought the shoe to the investigators and the investigators sent a picture of the shoe to Chelsea's mom and Chelsea's mom confirmed it was her daughter's shoe. Wow. So we're still in March. Two men, one of them named Eric, were scrapping at an industrial site, which was like 10 to 12-ish miles from where Mike's land was, where the Halloween party was. Mm -hmm. The two men found a leafy costume and a red wig abandoned in the rubble. (sighs) Mm -hmm. One week later, one of the men saw Chelsea's flyer and contacted the police and told them what he saw and that he believed it may have been Chelsea's costume. He didn't want to notify police at first, reportedly, because he had touched the costume and he was worried that authorities would think that he had something to do with Chelsea's disappearance. His sister, I I guess he like consulted his sister about it. Yeah. And his sister basically forced him to call and tell authorities or that she would. Right. And so he did. Well, good. Good for Mm -hmm. her. So the evidence was sent to the crime lab and swabbed for DNA. And sure enough, it was Chelsea's costume. It had some of her DNA on it. Mm -hmm. However, there was also an unknown male DNA on the costume. Ding, ding, ding. The crotch and the straps of her costume were ripped apart, Uh. like, forcefully. And the DNA sample was ran through CODIS, but unfortunately, the DNA match did not show up anywhere in CODIS. So that person had not been arrested or not been, like, in the system. Yeah. So, and we'll talk more on that later. Okay. Eric was brought in for questioning and ultimately cleared of having to do anything with Chelsea's disappearance. However, the building where the costume was found was less than 100 yards from Harlan Bird's house. Oh. Remember him? The I remember liar. Harlan. Mm-hmm. Detectives then brought Harlan back into the station, and Harlan brought an attorney along with him. 
course. He denied everything. He said his story was a lie. He said he had been in that abandoned building before, but not on Hall- not on that the Halloween party night. Oh, of course not. He also said he never would he didn't dispose anything of Chelsea's there. Mm-hmm. Harlan ended up passing a polygraph test, and he gave a DNA sample to the investigators. It didn't match. April twenty wow. fourth, yeah, April twenty fourth of two thousand and fifteen, a man named John Marcon was working in the woods only a few miles, like seven ish from that industrial site where the costume and wig were found. There was going to be like a home or something built on the property, but it was like just land and trees and mud at Mm -hmm. the time. And there was a truck driver who was hauling something pertaining to the construction and it got stuck in the mud. Oh, I don't like where this is going. So the owner or the guy, John, he, he went around to see what how he could like help or whatever right Mm -hmm. and he noticed that he was standing only a few feet from human remains Mm. ultimately chelsea ended up being identified through dental records her blonde hair was still partially attached to the skull and there was some skin on her chest her legs and her hands but her body was mostly primarily skeletal her jawbone was cracked completely into two And it was uncovered by the jaw being broken, along with damage to her eye sockets, like extensive damage to her eye sockets, Mm -hmm. that she had been severely beaten to death after or during sexual assaults. Oh, no. Mm -hmm. Poor girl. I know. The person who did this to her left no DNA on her body, no leads. However, her other red shoe and her tights were found not long after at the property as well. Okay. This brings us to July 21st of 2016. It's now been over a year and a half since Chelsea was murdered. There was a potential suspect who was going to be giving a polygraph test and a DNA sample, but Mike Preedmore, not to be confused with Big Mike, is one of the Monroe County Sheriff's detectives. He was like, he was at work. Mm -hmm. He was talking to his colleagues about a totally different case when another detective burst into the room and told them that they just got a DNA hit. Not from the suspect they were thinking it may have been, but with someone totally different. Ooh. 27-year-old Daniel Clay, who had been arrested on a totally unrelated charge and had his DNA taken from him, proved to be a match for the DNA that was collected from Chelsea's poison ivy costume. Wow. Daniel had a pretty shitty fucking upbringing, like just a bad time. They usually do. Yeah. His mom gave birth to him while in prison, and he was adopted out by parents who divorced when he was five years old. Mm. He ended up living solely with his father until his adoptive father passed away when he was 17. Daniel was then sent to the Monroe County Youth Center until he turned 18. He was then virtually homeless. Right. He worked at a gas station, a restaurant, did a bunch of different, just different like odd jobs to make money to live. Mm -hmm. He didn't have a home. He basically couch surfed. He ended up getting a woman pregnant, left her, had warrants for child support. He was just Mm -hmm. not a good dude. Yeah. He had assault and battery charges and a marijuana charge. And in May of 2016, he was arrested for larceny for the theft of a backpack. Oh, wow. I guess it had tattoo equipment in it. One source said that. Oh, okay. There had recently been a change to the state law in Michigan, and if a person was arrested for any type of felony at all, DNA could be collected. So those other arrests prior, he never had his DNA collected. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. So even though he was arrested on something as minor as a backpack theft charge, authorities collected the DNA sample, entered it into CODIS, and this is how we found out that we got a match. Now, Daniel had already been released. He had only stayed, like, overnight for that charge. Okay. Something like right around 24 hours in jail. The authorities went to Daniel's place that he was staying at with his girlfriend, Kelly Richter, and her roommate, Deanna Boring. Now, Deanna had known him since high school. 
Now, Kelly and Deanna were living at Frenchtown Villa Manufactured Home Community. So the authorities went there and they brought, they were planning to bring him to the station on the warrant that they had for the child support claim, right? Okay. So just easy peasy, get him there, talk to him about it, but then really hit him with the hard stuff. Yeah. They just wanted him in for questioning and they needed a way to do it. So that's why they used this. Basically like as an ulterior motive, mm-hmm. right? So on July 22nd, two deputies went up to the residence, knocked on the door for like 10 to 15 minutes, and Daniel tried to run out the back door, but he was apprehended by officers waiting for him there. Did he really think they wouldn't be back there too? Now he was brought in and booked based on the child support warrant. Okay. He was then brought into the questioning room and questioned by the detectives. Detectives told him that his name was brought up in regards to that 2014 Halloween party. Daniel said, yeah, he had been there, but he left early between 10 and 11 p.m. and that he left totally alone. He said he had no idea who Chelsea was. He said, quote, someone like that isn't going to stick out to me. Do you know how many people were at that party? End quote. The questioning officer said, quote, what if I told you that your DNA was on her? Hmm. I'll actually show you, all right, what I have from the crime lab. Hmm. End quote. And then he basically was just like, I have no idea how my DNA would ever be on that girl. I have no idea who she is. No idea, officer. Yeah. He then started changing his story a bit. I swear to drunk, I'm not God. Yeah. He said, I think I had sex with someone in the back of a car. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Maybe I did. But he said it wasn't Chelsea. He said that the woman that he had sex with was totally fine. She got out of the car. She was breathing and she walked away. Daniel tried everything to get a second to himself he asked to go to the bathroom he like took (laughs) deep breaths he did everything he could to like try and collect himself and think of another lie right now he said he saw a woman walking so now his short his story changes again okay he said he saw a woman walking and picked her up he said chelsea said that she wanted to have sex so he pulled over yeah fucking right yeah honestly daniel yeah right I, i don't buy it no So he pulled over and they got in the back seat and they had quote unquote wild sex. Mm, Mm -hmm. Just wild. Yeah. He said that she got freaky and that she wanted him to choke her. Mm. Yeah. Daniel said they were quote fucking for a minute and she stopped and got limp end quote. Oh yeah. Sure. That they were fucking for a minute and she just went limp. Right. Okay Daniel. Quote I wasn't choking her that hard. She didn't respond or nothing. There was no pulse end quote. Okay. I have a thought here. Give me it. People do choke people the wrong way during sex a lot. Yes, but it takes a minute. And if that's his story, why was she so fucking badly beaten? Right, right. You're stupid. Right. Daniel said that he wasn't thinking right because he had been doing drugs and drinking and he had just started driving around. Oh. And then he dumped her. Quote, I sat there and cried for 20 minutes. End quote. That doesn't make anything better, Daniel. Even if you cried for 20 hours. Doesn't matter, Daniel. I don't give a shit. He never described the injuries on Chelsea's face. Never explained how her jaw was split into two. Investigators knew that there was more to the story, but they did have enough to book him for murder. Mm-hmm. May 8th of 2017, so about a year after his initial confession, he went on trial in the Monroe County Courthouse for Chelsea's murder. The courtroom was overflowing with people who loved Chelsea. Daniel was still standing by his original claim. Daniel Clay's attorneys were Russell Smith and Matthew Mudrick. Medical examiners testified that Chelsea was missing teeth, she had a fractured orbital socket, and a broken jaw. Her cause of death was ultimately ruled as multiple blunt force blows to the face. This was not an accident. This was a vicious, guttural beating. Yep. 
Daniel and his team of attorneys claim that Daniel choked Chelsea for only a total of 30 seconds and that for 15 of those seconds, she was completely fine and totally conscious, which means for 15 seconds, she fell unconscious, mm-hmm. right? 15 and 15 is 30. Prosecutors argued with the help of the medical officials and their research on strangulation that a person must be strangled hard enough to cut off all air and blood flow to the brain for two minutes post-unconsciousness. The prosecutor presented a CPR mannequin for a demonstration in front of the courtroom. He was in front of the jury and held his hands around this mannequin's neck for two straight minutes. That's a long time. Mm -hmm. Daniel took the stand shortly after and was extremely calm. He stuck to his claim of Chelsea dying as a result of an accident during consensual sex. And he said they were both intoxicated and he didn't even realize that he hurt her at first. Daniel thought that she was passed out but couldn't wake her up. He said that he tried doing CPR but that she had already passed away. The prosecution team simply asked, why didn't you call 911? Yeah. Seems like the next most reasonable step, right? Now, Russell Smith, one of the attorneys for Daniel Clay, said, quote, an injury to the skull could have occurred up to three hours after her death, end quote. It was said that maybe this happened by accidentally hitting her head on the car door, or maybe when he was disposing of her body. That doesn't make it better. No. It could have been caused by a log out in the vacant land. I mean, it was a fucking stretch. What they were saying was a big goddamn stretch. Russell also said that the medical expert testimony could have happened more easily because of her intoxication. Apparently, they said it might take less time to cut off blood flow if a person is intoxicated. Okay. Russell claimed that Chelsea died of erotic asphyxiation. No. This is just a, this is just basically like fucking knocking her family down even more so than they Uh already are by saying, by doing this. Yeah. You know what I mean? I agree. Such a fucking injustice. Essentially, the erotic asphyxiation attempt that these attorneys claimed was basically saying that their sex was mutual, there was consent, and that Daniel was innocent. Defense argued that Daniel did not go there with intent, with intent to murder someone. He was simply, quote, a drunken kid guilty of nothing more than negligence and bad judgment, end oh, quote. He's a kid now. Mm-hmm. Russell said that he wanted the jury to find Daniel guilty of manslaughter and improper disposal of a corpse that would have been like in their perfect world. The prosecutors claimed and argued that Daniel murdered her while sexually assaulting her which would be felony murder. Right. Seems like a fucking, like... Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, hi, hello. On May 16th of 2017, the jury reached a verdict in less than three hours. It had been 990 days since Chelsea was murdered. Wow. So the jury comes back out and the spokesperson says, Daniel Clay, on the charge of first-degree murder, not guilty. Well, I, I thought that. But felony murder, guilty. Good. Concealing the death of an individual, guilty. The judge ends the case with, quote, What's very clear to me, Mr. Clay, is you're a liar, a rapist, and a killer. You are sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Fuck End yeah, quote. judge. Mm-hmm. I want to actually just play that because I really liked hearing it. So hang on, let me just play it. What's very clear to me, Mr. Clay, you're a liar, a rapist, and a killer. I love that. He said that with conviction, yeah. too. Yeah. You're a liar, a rapist and a killer and that's all you fucking are and you should have seen and that's all you'll ever be motherfucker and you should have seen the look in his eye yeah. um also obviously he had a chance to address the family which mm-hmm. is just, i fucking hate that but i want to play what he said to chelsea's mom who was only sitting like five feet from him Ugh. during this entire thing oh mom so this is what he said and this is what mom says i will 
live with this for every day for the remainder of my life. It'll be something that I would wake up thinking about, something that I would go to sleep thinking about. We've done that for 33 months. I'm sorry for everything. I don't know if you guys could totally hear what his mom said in response, but he had said that he would live this, live with that forever. Mm-hmm. And she said, we've been living with that for yeah. the past 33 months. I don't give and a fuck. And she will live with that yeah, forever. And I that is her mother. Give a fuck what you're living with, Nobody, guy. You chose that. Yeah. That is what you fucking chose to do. Don't make your apology all about you. <sighs> oh, don't I fucking do that. hate that. In Michigan, first-degree felony murder means that you're getting a life sentence without the possibility of parole. Okay. Daniel showed no fucking emotion when he was sentenced or as the jury found him guilty. Psychopath. He was very monotone. Yeah. Just didn't seem to care. Ugh. Now, Mike Williams, Big Mike, mm-hmm. he now has a smaller Halloween party each year. It's indoors and there's controlled access. Wow. Mm -hmm. Oh, Big Mike, you did the right thing. Yeah. Daniel Clay appealed his conviction, although he was then actually, okay, so after this happened, he was also convicted of sexual assault in another case. Really? Mm -hmm. Wow. However, the decision was upheld and he is still serving life without the possibility of parole for the brutal slaying of Chelsea Brooke. Wow. So she was 22 years old at the time. 22 years old. Yeah, that's a baby. And she was so, ex- Katie, she was so excited. Her friends and her family were like, she worked on this costume so hard. She looked so freaking she good. She made it by hand. By hand. All of the little Damn. leaves she sewed yeah, on there. that's crazy. She was just so excited. She was having such a good time. There were pictures of her at the party. Mm-hmm. She had a great fucking time. And then that fucking loser. Yep. I just can't. These, it's, these crimes are so senseless. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's really all there is, too. It's just senseless. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. complete yeah. and total lack of remorse from Daniel Clay. I hope that he rots. Same. I hope he has a bad fucking time. Okay, I'm going to be talking about The Curse of Johnny Garrett. This story has fucking everything, Victoria. I'm very excited to hear this one because the curse just sounds very spooky, yeah. Halloween-y, creepy. It's got, it's got murder. It's got a fucking psychic. It's got a wrongful conviction, maybe. Does it have it's a nun? Got, it's got a nun. Okay. It's got um, a curse. A curse. A plain so old curse. It's, I mean, it's literally everything that you that you want. For spooky season. Yes. All right. Halloween happened to fall on a Saturday in 1981, and early that morning, the nuns at St. Francis Convent in Amarillo, Texas, were just finishing up with morning chapel. Every time I say Amarillo, I want to say Armadillo. Armadillo. Are there Armadillos in Amarillo? Probably. Someone do my research for me. <laughs> so the nuns were finishing up with their morning chapel, or I don't think it was an actual mass. Sure. It was just, you know, like worshiping. A, a convenient. Yeah. It was worshiping. It was like 6.30 in the morning. Everything seemed fine. They worshiped and shit. But then Sister Angela Martinez had this like nagging feeling in the back of her mind. Oh, God. Sister Tadia didn't make it to morning chapel that day. Oh, God. Sister Tadia. Yeah. And Sister Angela was a little worried about that. It, it wasn't like Sister Tadia to miss worship ever. And especially without telling anyone that she wasn't going to be there. No sure. one had heard from her. So at about 7.30 a.m., Sister Angela decided to go check on her. Now, Sister Tadia lived in the convent. They, they all did. I it's love kind her of name. How, I know. Sister Tadia? Yes. Tadia Benz. Ooh, Tadia Benz. Tadia Benz. Mm, yeah. Okay, I like that. They, but they all lived there at the convent, so they had bedrooms. Right. 
When Sister Angela got to her room, she noticed Sister Tadia's door was closed. This was really strange, too, because Sister Tadia had some hearing loss. So because of that, she always, always, always left her door slightly open so she could hear the morning alarm. Sure. When Sister Angela opened the bedroom door, she found 76-year-old Sister Tadia dead. Ugh. Splayed out on the floor, arms outstretched to her sides. Oh, no. Nude with blood on her face. Who could do that to a fucking nun? Yeah. No. Or anyone, I right. should say. I should say, right. or anyone. But, like, mm-hmm. going into a convent? Yeah. That takes a sick fuck. Mm-hmm. Now, murder was not the first thing on Sister Angela's mind, or any of the other nuns. She was thinking that Sister Tadia had fallen and injured herself enough to cause her death. She called for the other nuns to help cover up Sister Tadia's body. They oh, used a sheet. They cleaned up some of the blood stains on the floor, and they had her body transported to a funeral home. I'm just thinking, like, they would probably just be praying. You know oh, what I'm I mean? sure. Yeah. That's what their mind would be focused on. Right. Like, it's awful. You know, they're heartbroken. Right. Absolutely heartbroken. But I'm sure, I mean, if that's the first conclusion that they came to, then that's, I mean, that's just what they did. No one thought it was a murder, so no one called the police. I hate that. Yeah. It wasn't until later that same Halloween day that another nun, Sister Florentine, was in the convent's community room, and she noticed that a window had been broken and the screen had been cut through. Mm -hmm. So the police are called because of that, because there was a break-in, apparently. They probably didn't even connect the two at first. They didn't. I bet. They really didn't. The cops came to investigate, and Sister Florentine thought about telling them about Sister Tadia's death, but she was hesitant. She said, quote, In my mind, I thought of it, but I took it for granted, as did the others, that she died a natural death. Mm. Yeah. God. But luckily, the police overheard the nuns talking about Sister Tadia, and they were like, back up the minivan, ladies. The nun was found. Beep, beep, The nun was found dead and the convent was broken into. That That's a little suspect. Yeah. In Sister Tadia's room, they found a kitchen knife under the bed, like a butter knife. Sure. Pubic hairs oh. and other like curly black hairs. They took the bed sheets as evidence. They took her nightgown. They grabbed fingerprints from the blade of the knife, the headboard, and from that broken window in the community room. They also found a second kitchen knife in the driveway of the convent. So they get Sister Tadia's body from the funeral home. It had already been cleansed and they'd done the arterial embalming. So there's not going to be much, mm -mm. if anything. But when she was examined by a medical examiner, they found that she had been beaten, raped, and strangled. She also had stab wounds to the chest, blunt force head injuries, and abrasions on her neck. That's how they knew she was strangled. Now, sadly enough, there were a lot of brutal attacks on elderly women happening in this part of Amarillo at the time. In July of that year, -year 77-year-old Narni Bryson had been beaten, raped, and strangled the same way. And that past spring, 10 different elderly women were beaten and raped in that area. Was this like talked about? Yeah. In the media? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Even just a couple of hours before Sister Tadia was murdered, a woman was raped and beaten into a coma 
literally a few blocks away from the convent. What the fuck? Police were looking into a man named Fernando Flores, who was a Cuban refugee staying in Amarillo, and he was initially a person of interest in Narni's murder, too. And they were initially thinking that her and Sister Tadia's murders were connected. I think they were very similar. Pretty much the exact same thing happened to both of them. And both older women, right? Yeah, from the same area. Mm -hmm. All of them, yeah, all of them were women, elderly women. 70 and above. That's so sick. Mm -hmm. So they picked up Flores because a witness reported seeing a man that matched his description outside of the convent on the night of Sister Tadia's murder. And this witness even picked Flores out of a photo lineup. But something made them let Flores go. The woman who was attacked a few hours before Sister Tadia, that was beaten into a coma, who survived, Mm -hmm. she came out of her coma, but she couldn't remember a thing about what happened that night. Oh, no. And the public was was pissed off at this point. They were scared. They weren't safe. So, insert bubbles. Bubbles? Bubbles. Like the kind you blow? No, no. Bubbles was a psychic. Oh, okay. She called the Amarillo Daily News and she was like, story time. She said she had a dream. And in this dream, she saw Sister Tadia's killer. Oh, God. Bubbles said their perpetrator was a teenage boy, about 5 foot 11. He wore his hair in a Afro style wig oh, during God. the attack. He had an Abe Lincoln face big nose, big ears. His face was half black, half white, and he ran from the crime scene that night. She said this boy lived in a tiny white house with dirty hardwood floors on the same street as the convent, Northeast 18th Street, and that the house faced the convent. She also said the name Clyde was associated with him somehow. Bubbles did some digging and she found this boy's house on Northeast 19th Street, not 18th, mind you, but right there in the yard was a dog with a name tag that said Clyde. Oh my fucking god. Now, keep in mind that Bubbles scoured the neighborhood herself in her car, so I don't think she lived too far. She probably, she was probably from the area. Right. There's no reason she couldn't have known all of this already, known the family, known the- Was this a big town, city? Amarillo's I mean, I think it's decent size, yeah. but I mean... I'm sorry. I just, I don't know. What? I just think it's completely possible that she knew who this boy was. Agreed. And this was like a big Agreed. fat farce. Agreed. If it was someone she from like... She had something against him, yeah. his family, mm-hmm. maybe Clyde got off his chain right. and tried to run after yeah. her. Or she just was strolling the neighborhood like... I'm going to pick that house, that boy. And you know what and I mean? And I want to be in the media. Yeah. I want to be the one who, mm-hmm. who you know, says I had a dream about this. I'm, I'm fucking not, I bubbles. mean, I guess we can't totally discredit her. We don't know her. Right. But my initial thought mm-hmm. is that's bullshit. Yeah. So Bubbles gives police the address of the house that she found, the house from her dream. And this led the investigation straight to a 17-year-old boy named Johnny Frank Garrett. So the Amarillo police knew of Johnny already. He'd committed petty crimes in the past. He was a little bit of a troublemaker. So it didn't seem, to them, it didn't seem outside of the realm of possibility. Sure. The police evidently taking Bubbles very seriously. I can't take Bubbles seriously. <laughs> no. <laughs> they, they paid a visit to Johnny Garrett's house. In his house, they found that the kitchen knives there matched the design, make, and manufacture of the knives found in the convent. The one under the bed and the one in the driveway. You're going to be so back and forth with this. Why would he leave that there? I know. If he knows that he had those at his Mm -hmm. house. 
Johnny's fingerprints seem to match the ones found on the knife under Sister Tidia's bed. What does seem to match mean? They thought they matched, I guess. Oh. Yeah. Just a quick yeah. little look of the fingerprints. And, and they seem to have matched the prints found on the headboard, too. They arrest Johnny 10 days after the murder. I mean, like, he's 17. He's yeah. got the Abe Lincoln face. Everything Bubbles said seemed to match. And I think... I think that fucking psychic skewed police's yeah the perception. perception in all of this because there are a lot of people that think Johnny is innocent. Wow. I'll keep going. Okay, keep going. After Johnny is arrested. Oh, I'm not going to fucking stop. <laughs> Don't stop. Now, honey, <laughs> keep on going. After Johnny's arrested, they seem to match his pubic hairs to the ones found at the crime scene, even though the hairs were black and his were apparently brown. They've got the fingerprint matches and the same kitchen knives. Like I said, the kitchen knives matched. But it was determined that neither of the knives found at the crime scene were the ones used to stab Sister Tadia. What? Mm -hmm. And they have a confession from Johnny. But this confession was not recorded. It was taken after Johnny had already asked for a lawyer and Johnny refused to sign it. They had this whole thing, this whole confession typed up by them. Oh, sure. The cops typed it up. He did not write it. And Johnny would not sign it. He said he never made a confession. The cops made the whole thing up and they were swindling him. Police say the confession was oral and they simply typed it up. They just typed up what Johnny told them. And they said that Johnny told them it was true, but he refused to sign it till he had a lawyer present. So you've got the cops and then you've got Johnny. So hearsay. Exactly. You don't you don't know who's telling the truth. No. Of course the cops yeah. would want to pin it on someone. Yeah. And it was it'd be open, closed, shut exactly. book. You know? Exactly. The cops also said that Johnny admitted that he did go into the convent looking to steal things. He saw Sister Tadia, he knocked her out, he raped her, but he didn't murder her. Oh, this God. is what the cops are saying that Johnny said. So oh, okay. Okay. It's okay, like okay. a game of telephone. You gotcha. know what I mean? Right. We're probably like never really going to know what happened in that police station that day when he was being questioned. No. We, we're not going to know. Because cops don't always tell the truth. And Clearly. Johnny, well, I'll just give you a little bit of his backstory. Okay. He was mentally impaired. Okay. He had a very low IQ. Mm-hmm. He had brain damage. He was so badly abused as a kid that a mental health expert described him as having, quote, one of the most virulent histories of abuse and neglect I have encountered in 28 years of practice. Holy fuck. So this is a quote that I grabbed from Murderpedia, and it's from Amnesty International. Okay. As a youth, Garrett was raped by his stepfather, who then hired him to another man for sex. From the age of 14, he was forced to perform bizarre sexual acts and participate in pornographic homosexual films. Honey. He was first introduced to alcohol and other drugs by members of his family at the age of 10. What? And subsequently indulged in serious substance abuse involving brain-damaging substances such as paint thinner and amphetamines. Garrett was regularly beaten and on one occasion was put upon the burner of a stove, resulting in severe scarring. So that's how Johnny grew up. I hate that. So that you keep that in mind. Was he mentally impaired from birth and then all of these other things just I couldn't impaired him find, more? I couldn't find anything about him being born okay. with anything. I think it was just from being beaten oh so much. Oh my god. So it's time for Johnny's trial. And guess what the jury isn't privy to? 
Johnny's past. Right. They're not told about that. Of course they aren't. He's proclaiming his innocence left and right. He never backs down. The state-appointed pathologist says that, yeah, there was semen found on Sister Tadia, but no one asked him to keep it, so he threw it away. What? Johnny testified. He admits on the stand that he broke into the convent a few days before the murder to steal jewelry. He used the butter knife from his house to pry open a locked cabinet, and his fingerprints were on the headboard because he reached across it to take a cross off the wall. But a nun that testified for the prosecution said no. If someone broke into the convent at the time Johnny said, there, there's no way that he wouldn't have been caught. We would have seen him. She said they never locked any of their cabinets, and Sister Tadia didn't even have a cross hanging on the wall by her bed. Fuck. Nothing was missing from the convent. What's also not mentioned at trial, because Johnny's court-appointed attorney either neglected to do so or because they were deemed inadmissible, are the fact that they found those foreign black curly hairs at the scene of the murder. They found foreign finger and palm prints not belonging to Johnny a bloody v-neck t-shirt found at the scene that did not belong to Johnny, a sock not belonging to Johnny, shoe prints outside of the convent that weren't his, blood on an exit door that was never even tested, and the fact that Johnny's 14-year-old friend testified with no jury present that, yeah, they did go into the convent two days before the murder to steal necklaces, just like Johnny said. So maybe if the jury had heard this friend say that, right, he would have had a fucking shot in hell. Right. I, something else to consider that the jury didn't hear. Remember that guy Flores who was initially arrested for the yes. murder? He had a buddy and a roommate named Leoncio Rueda who was arrested after he was caught fucking peeping into an elderly woman's house in the same neighborhood as the convent. They charged him with trespassing, and then they let him go without even like, questioning him. Goodbye. So, there's the murder of Narni Bryson. So, if you remember from before, the police thought that Narni's murder and Sister Tadia's murder were too similar to not be linked to the same suspect. Witnesses claimed to have seen a Latino male in the direct vicinity of each crime scene during both of the murders. Both of the victims, Narni and Sister Tadia, they worked with religious groups who were helping Cuban refugees. They were both elderly. They were both attacked in the early morning, raped, and murdered in the exact same way. They happened just blocks away from each other, in the same area. Curly black hairs were found at both crime scenes. The DA even told the newspaper before Johnny's arrest that he had a strong feeling both of the murders were committed by the same person. But once they got Johnny and all of that weak evidence, that whole comparison went right out the fucking window. Narnie's murder was never brought up by either side during Johnny's trial. So during Johnny's cross-examination by the district attorney, he was asked questions like, Are they all lying then? Why is everyone out to get you? How did your pubic hairs get in Sister Tadia's room? Did they fall out, down your legs, over your shoes, over your socks, and onto the floor? And didn't the butter knife get bent when you pushed it over her neck? Now, <laughs> keep in mind, they didn't have DNA testing then. Sure. They couldn't have definitively matched those pubic hairs, even if they were the right color right. to begin with. Right. They couldn't have matched them. The butter knife was not used to stab the nun. We know that already. And those questions weren't even meant to find anything out. They were used because the DA knew that they would affect the jury. Right. They would get inside of their heads. The nun killer. You know what I right. mean? 
So this is still just a 17-year-old boy with like a whole host of mental problems, but it worked. Johnny Garrett was found guilty of the murder of Sister Tadia, and he was sentenced to death. What? Yeah. Holy yeah. ball sack. So just a couple thoughts here. Just with those like few samples of what happened during the trial, I can tell you for damn sure that no jury should have convicted him. No. Beyond a shadow of a doubt. Not even a fucking chance. How? Mm -mm. Like, even if he did do it, which personally, I I don't know. There's not enough. I don't know. There's not enough to say. I can't say yes or no. But even if he did do it, he didn't get a fair trial whatsoever. No. Mm -mm. He had shoddy fucking attorneys. And this is why I don't like the death penalty. Because guilty fuckers shouldn't live, no. But if there's even the slightest inkling of a chance that potentially innocent people... Kids like Johnny, a seventeen-year-old executed. Then I can't get behind it. Did he get executed? No, I'll tell you. Okay. So tell me. I'll tell you. So what followed the sentence was a very lengthy appeals process. His date of execution was stayed several times while these appeals played out. None of them worked. He received no new trial. Nothing. They just they wouldn't even budge. He exhausted all of his appeals by 1992, and his execution date was set for March of that year. The nuns from the convent got involved asking for clemency for Johnny. The fucking Pope got involved. John Paul II. Wow. Yeah. He was urging the governor of Texas, like, just wait, don't kill him. Right. Like, commute his sentence to life instead. Don't don't kill him. Like, this was not fair. Right. Even the fucking nuns and Pope. Yeah. Uh huh. The governor caved and he granted a very rare 30 day stay of execution, but the Texas Board of Pardons and Paroles voted against commuting Johnny's sentence. Despite the argument that Johnny was mentally ill due to horrific physical, mental, and sexual abuse, despite a trial that was rigged against him from the very start, despite evidence not being tested, despite glaring inconsistencies in witness statements, despite the fact that they got a lead from a self-proclaimed fucking psychic, Johnny was executed by lethal injection on February 11th, 1992. Fuck. I said before that his, his execution was set for March. It was January. Sorry. Now, you might be wondering where the curse part comes in. I am wondering that. But I'm very pissed off right now. It's just not, like, I don't know if he did it or if he didn't do it, but Mm -hmm. what it comes down to for me is the fact that there was no fair trial. No. And if you're talking about a human life, there needs to be a fair trial. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Everything needs to come up. Exactly. And after the fact, I mean, you can't go back and change that trial, but fucking give him life in prison if you feel that fucking strongly. So the curse. The curse lies in Johnny's last words. Oh, God. And the aftermath of this whole mess. Johnny was quoted as saying, quote, I'd like to thank my family for loving me and taking care of me. The rest of the world can kiss my ass. End quote. Wow. That's the version that was put out into the world. Most people say his actual last words went a little something like this. I would like to thank my friends and family, and I would like to thank my guru and everyone else who has helped me get through all of this. For the rest of this world, well, you can kiss my ever-loving ass because I'm innocent. And for those responsible for my murder here tonight, you know who you are? Well, I got some words for you, too. But I put those in a letter. Something for you to look forward to tomorrow. Johnny Garrett left a letter cursing society and those who he felt were guilty 
for his murder. Oh, God. Part of the letter read, this is just a section of it. I'll put the whole thing online. Part of the letter read, You, society, will live in shame. In your nightmares, I will live. In your times of fear, big or small, will I be. Every frustration in your lives will be me. Every death of your families will be me. I will be the one who meets your family's souls, and they will pay for what you, society, has done to my family, friends, and friends' families. I will be the fear you experience upon your last breath. I curse your fucking souls to the deepest depths of your own hell. Holy fuck. Yeah, Johnny. Wow. And like I said, it goes on, but... I'm not going to read the entire thing. He was pissed. I mean, rightfully so. Yeah. I would be pissed. Uh But here's the motherfucking kicker, kids. The curse started kicking in just a few months after Johnny was executed. Shut the fuck up. The first victim was the coroner who was convicted of falsifying documents. While incarcerated, his wife died of pancreatic cancer. That year, Johnny's attorney, Bill Coleus, also died of pancreatic cancer. Kathy Jones, the NBC reporter that chased Johnny's mom into the courthouse bathroom, died in a plane crash. The judge and another lawyer were diagnosed with the same rare type of leukemia. Two officers that were part of the task force were also diagnosed with leukemia. A member of the jury, Novella Sumner, fell down a flight of stairs and died. Another jury member's daughter had a freak accident with a gun and was shot in the head, and his sister run over by a car. A jailhouse snitch who testified against Johnny committed suicide. His school teacher who testified against him also committed suicide. The district attorney, Danny Hill, became an alcoholic and drug addict and then in 1995 committed suicide. Hill's youngest daughter followed her father's example and committed suicide by hanging. If that's not a fucking curse, yeah, I don't know what is. That's Boys actually, and girls. That is actually terrifying. Yeah. To think... It's like it fucking came true. Right. Oh, my God. What other Doesn't example? Doesn't that just make you, like... Yeah. All those people that were involved that he said were going... He said he it was going to fucking happen. He literally wrote this down. Yeah. And then it came true. Mm-hmm. I have the creepy crawlies. I know. My skin mm-hmm. feels like it's on fire. Yeah. It's nuts. So, a few other updates. No. I don't want any more. Well, just listen to I don't to want this. to hear anything else about this. It gets worse. No, it does that not. That man, the one named Leoncio Rueda, the peeping Tom from back in the 80s, mm-hmm. he did end up getting arrested for the murder of Narni Bryson. Twelve years after Johnny's execution in 2004, DNA was a fucking thing now, and DNA evidence collected from Sister Tadia ended up being a fucking match to Leoncio as well. Fuck. Uh-huh. Now, Leoncio was already in prison for Narnie's murder, and he has not been charged with Sister Tadia's murder to Ugh. this day. And even though Johnny is dead, he can be exonerated and have his name cleared, yeah. but that hasn't fucking happened Why? either, of course. I think it's just because there's so many people that don't want to admit how badly they fucked up. Wow. I just don't think that they, they want to admit it, or they just don't give a shit anymore. His family still fights for him to get his name cleared. The family There's, that beat him? 
I don't know. I want to know who none his of that, fucking family none is. None of that was clear. I I just, I'm curious. I like, think it's like his sister. Was he so. like adopted out? Were those his parents? Were the people who did that to him his actual parents? Like, right. I would love to know all of that I don't information. Know. There is a movie. It's a horror movie. I fucking bet. So I don't know how much it's like embellished and you know what sure. I mean. It's called, I think it's actually called Johnny Garrett's Last Word. Just I think one it's the name. Yeah. I made a note of that because I thought it was weird too. I didn't see it. So I don't know if that stuff's in the movie, but I couldn't find anything else about his, how, you know, who raised him. If that was his, I you know, that. I don't know. Mm. So isn't that just, I told you it I, was a ride and it that, had everything. That was an actual ride. Yeah. I don't like it. It's crazy. I feel terrible for him. Yeah. I Ugh. still think, I think maybe, maybe he did break into the convent. Perhaps he did. He lived He had been right charged there. with other petty theft mm-hmm. before. But yeah. that is not a crime to be executed for. No. I'm sorry. No. I'm sorry, Amarillo. Yep. You done fucked up. You really Amarillo done fucked up. Armadillo. And then everybody got a goddamn curse because of it. Yep. Katie? Yes. Are you reading, watching, or listening to anything? Tell me all about it. Reading. um, I did start that book, The Housekeeper by Natalie Borelli, that I was telling you about. I think, didn't you start it too? I started it as well for Jen's Book Club. Yes. Mm -hmm. I'm loving it so far. Are you? Yes. I'm not enjoying it that much. Where are you at? Um, Let me tell you. I fucking love it, dude. I'm on chapter six. Are you? Yeah. What don't you like about it? I don't know. It just ah. isn't like it's not doing it for yeah. me. Yeah, I feel like it's very like dry, which I'm dry. Yeah, I'm dry. <laughs> I am dry <laughs> as a desert. <laughs> I I'm a very dry like speaker. Mm-hmm. I'm a very dry fucking. I have a dry personality. Yeah, but there's just something I don't know. It's not keeping my attention. I think that's your problem. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's the book's problem. <laughs> Leave that in there. I think that's something that you are ignoring. (laughs) I'm not ignoring it. My therapist knows. Uh, Yeah. Okay. I'm just not, I'm not feeling it yet. Maybe it just is going to take me a couple more Oh, I'm about at the same spot. But I don't really have an attention span problem like you do. Yeah, I do. I do. I can't, nothing really holds my attention. She just wants goddamn revenge and I love that. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. Watching... The fucking Vampire Diaries has been on on a loop in the background because my husband is watching it. Tanner. He loves it. Tannerino. He loves it. Knock it off. I am not really watching it, but it's just there. It's listening. Sometimes I'll sit and watch like five minutes of it. It's so fucking weird because they're like seniors in high school, but they're like fucking in lingerie in a mansion drinking bourbon. Yeah. And then they're like, let's go to history. Yeah. Like, right. It's just, I don't know. I know it's a thing. Let me put on my I turtleneck sweater. Yeah. Like, oh see in history class <laughs> i know that's how it's supposed to be it's yeah. just weird to me i don't know i've seen them all before when they were when they came out i really want to watch ratchet oh really, i started really it bad. did you start it yeah did it's it boring. not hold your attention it either? didn't see? i'm still trying though i'm not listening to much i listened to the most recent my favorite murder about the alan school which was fucked beyond belief i didn't, see, I didn't hear that oh one. that was a bad one and that's really about it. Oh, well. Oh, I did really quick. Uh-huh. I added this podcast to my queue and it's called Slutrepreneur. Slutrepreneur. Okay. I haven't listened to it yet. Slutrepreneur. We were Slutrepreneur. Talk- <laughs> we were talking about this earlier. It's about a woman who sells all kinds of shit on the internet for like a lot of money. Okay. Like her old shoes. 
They're worth more if they've got like toe prints. They're worth more if she didn't wear socks with them. She fucking sells her armpit shavings, her armpit hair. What? She sells like the pads on her stairs when she replaces them because her feet have touched them. Who? Where are these men and where can I I find them? I know. She's got this whole ass following. I need to find the men Mm -hmm. and sell them my armpit shavings. Yes. Why throw it away? I would never have to work a day in my life again. Shit. You could sell your leg shavings. I could. And you would be employed for a long time. I could make that shit last so long. You could give them probably to thousands of customers. I could. I just think it's fascinating that she does this. And I'm really, really happy for her. I'm here for it. (laughs) Go ahead, sister. (laughs) Yep. What about you? I, well, I too, as you know, my opinion on the housekeeper, I'm not there yet. I'm not reaching a climax okay. with this one. Well, because you um, haven't gotten to the climax yet. But I'm still trying. Okay. I like to climax a little bit early and be done with it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, anyway, I am also... We're starting the book club back up mm-hmm. in the reader group, which has nothing to do with the podcast, but I figured since we're talking about books, we can say it anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, we tried doing it multiple times. Sometimes people did it. Sometimes people didn't do it. I think it's sometimes important. Sometimes Katie never did it. Sometimes I'm very Katie sorry. never did it. Um, but I figured we could start it back up because we need to read. Mm-hmm. We need to read. We need to have something to hold us accountable. I'm reading. I'm Are really you? excited. I'm Is trying. Is it going to hold your attention? No. No. I am going to finish The Housekeeper because I want to be part of the discussion. Okay. And I enjoy being part of all I can't of believe you clubs. don't like it. I don't know. That part what. where she said, I don't even have a plan because I'm stupid. Yeah, I did like that. <laughs> I like I It's like, like full of little things like that. Yeah, I thought I like you would that. love it. I don't know. I'm just having a hard time. Um, so that's the only thing I'm trying to read right now. I did finish. Um, it's called The Last to Lie by J.M. Winchester. Loved that Is that one. a romance? No. It's really? a thriller. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, it's a thriller. I read it very, very quickly because I didn't talk about it last week. Yeah, you didn't. No. <laughs> and so that held my attention, motherfucker. Well, good. Well, mm-hmm. I'm very happy for Glad you. Glad for me. Um, so that's good. That was a really good one. I will leave that somewhere so you guys can see it if you want to. Let's see. I think that that's all I'm, I'm reading. I'm yeah. not watching i try to start ratchet i think i'm on episode like two i'm like in the middle of episode two yeah and i had to watch like a dateline episode and a snapped episode for my research today Mm -hmm. but other than that nothing really and i haven't listened to any pods this past week but here's the thing what's the spooky season it is creepy season it is it's october 1st you gotta read and watch some scary shit and listen oh and for the book club you guys i know i already actually just earlier when before i was when we had our pee break Mm -hmm. i accepted a lot of our coven members into our reader group so i know people saw the post i've been Mm -hmm. posting a lot today in all the groups yeah you are Mm -hmm. my god i'm on top of it anyway it's spooky season we're ready to go you guys are going to be getting a lot of different content than you normally do i have a few patreon episodes lined up we're going to do at least two patreon episodes together mm-hmm. and i'm going to edit those so so that will be if fun. your ears bleed <laughs> blame i'm Tori. sorry anyway yeah <laughs> all right guys you can see our patreon in our link trees on instagram at cruel and unusual the pod and on twitter i tweet at cruel unusual pod check out our new spooky season merch hey 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 i want to get everything i know <laughs> There is very little. Don't take that it out I of our business want. account, okay? Okay, fine. I'll pay with my own. But uh, no, I'm very, very excited. I know. Me too. You Anyway, where I was going with this is you can see all of that. 
<laughs> having a bad day <laughs> on our website at crueling.media.com. Yes. Come join our Facebook group. Please. That is Cruel and Unusual Colin the group. The group. All, All right, right, we gotta go. All right, love Happy you. Happy spooky season. Love you. Bye. Bye. Thank you.